Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love that song because I think we've all been there. I think we've all been a point in our life where we feel so worn out. And if I didn't have God, I don't know what I would do. There's been situations that have happened in my life, and I'm sure it happened in your life, that if you didn't have God, would you have gotten through it? You might have gotten through it, but man, I tell you, with the Lord's help, things can heal. And I tell you, with all the wisdom in this world, with all the knowledge in this world, there are some things that can't be explained. And we try to explain those things through through theories, and we act like those theories are facts and all this kind of stuff. But life can get so crazy that I don't know what I would do without my faith. Faith, to me, is the secret to living. The simple faith in my Creator gets me through life. I couldn't help but uh, as we watched the news of what was going on this past week in, in Boston and, and uh, then in Texas and all that, that how many people you know, just kept saying, pray for these guys, pray for these guys, or, or saying, I relied on God to get through this and all this stuff. And even through the morning, they were talking about God. And I just thought, wow, to go through that and to stand up and say, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it, and God's going to get me through this. That's, to me, that simple faith is really what life is about. It's what we can hold on to. It allows us to enjoy life no matter what's going on in this world. Because it's the most powerful, the most educated. Usually they're not the ones that are the happiest in the world because they're after power, money, and education, and all these things. Um, You know, it's usually the ones that have faith that are the happiest in this world. Today we're going to talk about a church as we've, you know, we're in the sixth church of of the the seven churches of Revelation. And we're going to talk about this church who has, you know, has found the key to living. It's a church of of Philadelphia. It's a humble, even simple church that found the secrets to the wisdom of leaving. leaving. They haven't left. They're still around in the Bible. And my thing's not working up here, Lisa, so you'll have to go to the first slide. Um, Revelations 3.7, it says, To the angel in the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. 
I've pl- see, I've placed uh, before you an open door that, that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are, the, uh, who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, so they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you uh, from, the, from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now these seven churches that we've been covering, they're they're real churches from ancient times, but also kind of a a prototype of of what the churches would be like in the future. And this is one of the, the, only the the two out of seven churches that actually don't get a huge rebuke from the Lord. Jesus doesn't say, you're doing this wrong. Everything here is praise. Everybody wants to be the church of Philadelphia. Every church wants to be the church of Philadelphia. This church is in, you know, in present-day Turkey, it would be in the middle of the country. It was moderately rich, but not huge. Really, hardly any pictures exist of this ruins because there's not much there of the ruins. Uh, you can look online. And you, you know, I kind of looked. I went, ah, oh, let me, this picture, okay. no, not that one, not really good. That, there was not hardly any good pictures of the place. But of everything I've read, there's always been a church in Philadelphia. When Islam took over, they tried to wipe out all the churches, but this church remained there. The 1920s, the government you know, banned churches, and a church remained in Philadelphia. The modern-day city, which is near uh, the, the old city, is, is called Alashihur. It means the city of God. They weren't overwhelmingly rich. They weren't the elite. They weren't you know, in charge of the government. They're not huge, you know, shopkeepers and, and, you know, huge businesses. These guys were lower middle income type of people. He writes to them. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the, the key of David. Now, if you've been reading along in these letters, you would realize that he usually starts out talking about himself as Christ talks. You know, this is who I am and what I am about. And this phrase, key of David, is important here. You know, we read it and go, okay, well, I, I know David, but I don't understand this phrase. I don't, I, you know, it only occurs a couple of times in the Bible, first in Isaiah 22. I mean, this is 700 years before Christ. Hezekiah was king, and, and Isaiah was a prophet, and Israel and Judah were, were split into the northern and southern kingdoms. And, you know, Judah was, you know, had a great king at the time, Hezekiah. He's trying to get, tra- you know, back on track with God. He's trying to push the people to get into the word. He wasn't having much success. Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Kind of like America, right? Whatever I decide is right is right, Right? Because that's what I deem is right, right, right. Okay, good. We're all on the same page, right? Hmm. 
Isaiah said, shape up or you're going to be destroyed. In the middle of all this, there was a court official named Shebna. Egyptian guy, he worked his way up all the way up in the ranks, and he, he became the number two guy to Hezekiah in his court. Uh, you know, in Hezekiah, he was a good king, but somehow this guy got up there. And Isaiah says to Shebna, he comes to him one day, and he says to him, This is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty says, Go say to your st- uh, steward, to Shebna, who is in charge of the palace. What are you doing here? And who gave you permission to cut out a grave for yourself here? Hewing a grave on the height and chiseling your resting place in the rock. So apparently Shebna decided, you know, he's going to be like a little pharaoh. You know, he's, he's doing himself his own little pyramid, pyramid or whatever it was. It was up on the high, you know, the high place where, where officials would be buried. And the Lord says, beware, the Lord is about to take full, firm hold of you and hurl you away. O oh, you mighty man. He will roll you up tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country. There you will die, and there your splendid chariots will remain. You disgrace your master's house. I will dispose you from your office, and you will be ousted from your position. And that day I will summon my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be the father of those who live in Jerusalem in the house of Judea. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will be a seat of honor in the house of the father. All the glory of his family will be hang on him, its offsprings and offshoots, all, the, all its lesser vessels, from the bowl to the jars. So the Lord says to this guy, what do you think you're doing? You, you know, you've worked, you've worked yourself into power, into to position, into prestige, into glory. You know, you're building yourself a little pyramid to, to die in, acting like a little pharaoh. Where did his money come from? Well, he's the guy in charge of the taxes. He's the guy in charge of, of bringing in mo- money for the temple and everything else, and he was skimming off of it. He was supposed to be the guy that was in charge, that was supposed to be fair. Instead, he was using it for his own greedy needs. God says, you're going to be out. I'm going to totally replace you. I'm going to replace you with Eliakim, and I'm going to give him the key to the house of David. Now, an Old Testament mind would automatically understand this phrase. This phrase meant, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give you all authority, all authority of the king. It will open up any chamber, any room, any document, you know, anything. He's the most trusted, most powerful guy under the king. In fact, his words were like the king's words. That's who this guy was. The key of David. The key of David is the line of, of promises handed down through time. Eventually, you know, this would lead to the Messiah, the saving of the world. And it all came through King David. The keys were passed on. Now Jesus is saying to the, to the church, I have the key. I can open all doors and close all doors. The mysteries of all the faith that you have, I can open that up for you. All the authority, all the privileges, all the rights. The Father has given that to me. What is interesting is you read this passage concerning Shebna. 
It, it, you know, concerning seven, it's like when God puts people in power, he expects something out of them. When God puts you in a, a position of power, no matter where it is in life, whether you're a teacher, whether you're in a business, wherever you are in life, when God puts you there in charge of your family, he expects something from you. He doesn't expect you to rob the people. He doesn't expect them to, to use it for their own selfishness or greed. Now, the other passage about the key to, the, you know, to authority and responsibility is in Matthew 16. The disciples are, are you know, out preaching, and they all come back together, and they're sitting around talking, and, and Jesus says, well, who do people say I am? And they give all these different answers and, and stuff. Oh, some say you're this, some say you're that, and you're this prophet, you're Elijah, you're, you're Elijah, you're all this kind of stuff. And then he goes, well, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. This is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And there's, you know, it's kind of hotly debated. Did, did Peter get the keys himself? One church would say yes, another church would say no. And the problem is that, you know, clearly Peter was a leader. But if you look at all the other books of the Bible, you see other leaders emerge also. Paul publicly scolded Peter at one point because he was wrong. In Acts 15, major decisions needed to be made for the church. Who stood up and spoke? James. So you had multiple leaders. And, you know, and what they're saying, what Jesus was, was saying to, to Peter was, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom because of your proclamation of faith. Where it says, you are the Messiah. And anyone who knows that, anyone who accepts that, will be given keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Whatever you lose on earth will be given. You know, if you're here, if you've accepted Christ, if you believe that he died for your sins, then you get the keys to the kingdom. You can pray that God will open up opportunities. You can, you can pray that God will make changes in this world. You have the power to pray. You can, you can stop things from happening, and you can begin things through your prayer life. You have been given the keys to the kingdom. And along with that comes the responsibility and authority to learn, to work with God, to learn about the Holy Spirit, to, to pray, to get into His Word, to fellowship. And with those keys come the expectation. What are you doing with them? What are you binding? What are you loosing? What are you doing with your faith? Uh, I love it. Little Sonoma came up to me today, and I don't know if you know Sonoma, you know, Little Sonoma, a uh, beautiful young lady, and she goes, and it, she's got one of these voices that cracks me up. She's like, Pastor Allen. And I go, yeah, hey, how are you doing, Sonoma? And she goes, pray for me today. I'm talking to the kids about my faith. And I'm thinking, you're a kid. What do you mean you're talking to kids? You know, you're getting too old. And she's talking to the young kids about her faith, and I love it because you start at a young age talking about your faith. What happens when you get older? You start talking about your faith. You continue that. There's expectations from God. 
For Shebna, it was all about me. I'm going to to bring forward someone else to lead my people, God says to Shebna. What comes with the keys are expectations. And often we will fumble with those keys. You know, if you have a big wad of keys and you're trying to find the right key, Brandon loves keys. He, he knows what key goes to what vehicle and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he found the, the RV keys the other day and he's like, RV? RV? He's heading out to the RV. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, on our trip, he got into the Jeep and he goes, I drive. And trying to get him out of that front seat, oh, you would have thought the world was going to end. Because he was supposed to drive. He knew what keys. But most of the time we got a lot of keys. We're fumbling for the right key. We're trying to get the door open. And we're like, okay, which key is it? We're trying to figure out. That's what happens with the keys of the kingdom sometimes. We fumble with them and God is okay. Because God is right there with us to open the door. God's okay with our fumbling. It says bind in heaven. He's talking about a spiritual dimension. He is saying that we have an effect in the spiritual dimension. We have an effect on what is going on with, with, with the Spirit of God and how it interacts in this world through our prayers. Jesus says that he has these keys. And to this church is so tiny, to this church is so helpless, this church is so powerless, he's saying you also have the keys. And if you go on in Revelation, you look at the first verse of chapter 4, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first, uh, heard speaking to me, was like a trumpet. Come up here, and I will show you what, make, what must take place after this. And he opens up a whole spiritual world to John and the rest of the book of Revelations that, that we hotly debate because we don't really understand. And he says to the church, you think you're weak, you think you're tiny, you think you're powerless, but I have all the power, I have, I have the keys, I can unlock the doors. And he says in verse 8 there, I know your deeds, see I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Jesus opens the doors of our life to get things done when we pay attention to him. Our job is to be faithful. Faithful to the one who ultimately holds the master key. Are you faithful at the right moments? Are you faithful at the right time? Are you faithful in the little things along the way? Whatever they have done in this church, they remain faithful. If we could all do that in life, man, I mean, we'd be much better off, wouldn't we? You know, if you look around at the news, if you look around at the world, many people would say if there was ever a time to stop believing, ever a time to to give up, to say God is not taking care of me, or God is not taking care of this little church. But they said, I'm going to remain faithful because I have the keys to the kingdom. So how do we become a church like Philadelphia? Well, we become faithful in the small things in our life, and then it starts to come together. He goes on and says in verse 9, I will make those who are the synagogues of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial of that 
that from hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. You know, in the early day, most, most Christians were Jews because it came, it came out of the Jewish faith. And, and in Rome, they, they basically made a law saying no new religions allowed. So Christianity was, was really thought of as a, as a sect of, of Jewishness. And the Romans were okay with that. And the Jews were, were very upset because the Christians would come in and they would talk about Jesus inside the synagogue. And eventually the Jews said, no more of this, and they kicked them out of the synagogue. Well, as soon as they kicked them out, Rome said, well, wait a second, you're starting a whole new religion. So you have to, you know, you have to, to worship their emperor because the Jews were the only ones that didn't have to do the emperor worship. Well, they, ref- you know, they refused to do this, so they were killed. For the first 200 years of Christianity, 5 million people, it's estimated, were killed for their faith. Now, God did not hate the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jews were supposed to receive God to a point in their life where they showed other people the way to God. And they were supposed to receive Jesus ultimately. They were supposed to pass it on, and they failed at this job. They claimed to know God, yet they completely missed the Messiah when he came. God tells them, I know the temple is powerful, and I know that you are weak, but they, the Jews, they don't speak for me. They say they know God, but they don't. They're the synagogue of Satan. We can all tell a story of when Christians kind of burned us. We can all tell a story when, when we were upset with a, a, you know, somebody who, who said they were a Christian and they were our friend and, and they've done something to burn us. Some relationship destroyed by the very people who are supposed to, to love us. Or maybe we're the ones that have done the burning. You know, this is how the Christians felt. You know, one thing that bugs me, and I hate to say this, but it, it really does bug me, is when, when businesses put Christian symbols on their business, and you may, why would a pastor say that? Well, because 90% of the time, they don't act very Christian. Most of the businesses that, that say that out front don't really follow through on that. A few years ago, I went to, to buy a car, and, and during negotiations, and I love negotiations. I mean, I love the whole car thing. You know, I make sure I have time, you know, because you need time, because it takes like four stinking hours. But, but one time I'm like, I told the guy, he kept going back and forth to the manager, and I said, look, I'm going to go stand by that door. Just look at me and shake your head yes or no. One of the two. Because if it's no, I'm going to walk out the door. If it's yes, then we got a deal. Because I was tired of the back and forth. I finally just said, you know, let's do that. And he came back, and of course he said yes. So we were able to negotiate the car. But a few years ago, I was negotiating a car, and they found out I was a pastor. And, you know, I, I knew what price point should the, the car should be you know, sold at because I'd done my homework, consumer reports and uh, all these different things. I'd done my homework. I knew what I wanted to spend for the car, and I knew what they could sell it for. But they wanted me to give in on the price. And they found out I was a pastor, and they're like, oh, well, come on, pastor, where's, where's the love? And I looked at the guy, and I said, well, I guess Christian love is supposed to mean you're supposed to make stupid financial decisions, right? Well, not really. Well, I got the price that I wanted for the car after time. But with businesses, 
that advertise Christianity, you better act that way. If you're going to put that on your, on your business, then follow through. You better be good at what, you, what you're doing. You better, be, you, know, you better have the attitude and actions of God in your business, or you're going to give us all a bad name. You've got to be fair. You've got to do what's right. You know, don't pull something and try to get away. Well, we, I can get away with this because he, you know, he, he's a Christian too, so he can't get mad at me. You know, for some reason, you know, all business goes out the door if you're a Christian. You know, well, that's just how, how it is. And it's like, no, no, this is right, this is wrong. You need to do this to fix this. Now, you can, understand, you can see I've dealt with some of that before in my life. But let's not be one of them. If you're claiming to, to be in the name of Jesus, then don't live the life of Satan. He goes on and says in verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will I leave it, or never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Now, there, there's a couple of things here. How does a person steal your crown of glory? Think about that for a second. We're all going to receive different types of crowns in, in heaven, and one of us is going to be the crown of glory. How could a person come and steal your crown? You spend your life trying to be like Jesus. You, you, you do the things that you should do and, and try not to do the things that you shouldn't do. You try to learn his word. You're trying to invest in God. So how does someone come along and steal your crown in this life? Well, that just doesn't seem right. Well, then I remember 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope, our, our joy, our, the crown in which we will uh, glory in, the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are the glory and joy. So what is our crown? What is our glory and our joy? That is the people that we shape, the people we challenge, the, the people that we, we love. That is our crown of glory. Jesus says, pay attention. Don't be so selfish in this world. Get rid of your greed. Think of others, you know, and put time and effort and energy into other people. You know, I've been blessed in my life when, when, you know, with people that God has put in my path at certain times and certain, you know, maturity levels in my life. And the Lord just kind of put one after another. And when one would fade away, he would bring in another one. It was just, it's been great. The Lord has blessed me like that. Well, now I have the same responsibility. And over the years, as I started doing youth ministry and I started doing college ministries and stuff, and I still talk to some of those guys and they call me up and, and we talk and, and sometimes we even you know, go down and meet them camping and vacation and all. We have a responsibility to be older mentors to those who are underneath us. This is how the keys to the kingdom get handed down. Jesus working through us. Jesus says... Take the you know, opportunities I give you, the opportunities to show others the way to the keys of the kingdom. You've been given an opportunity, people. You've been given a lifetime on this earth to do great things. Make sure you don't waste it. For some reason, we all think we have to be president, or we all think we have to be Billy Graham. We all think we have to, and Jesus is saying, no, I just want you to be you. I want you to be the person you made, the personality I molded into you was there for a reason, and it can be used for my glory if you allow it, and it's changing and affecting the lives that are around you, those sitting in the classroom next to you. 
those that have been put under your authority as you're the boss at work. Or maybe you're the one, you know, you're the employee having to show the boss how to be. Because if you don't, Jesus is going to send someone else. And when Jesus sends someone else, what happens? They take your crown of glory. Jesus has set it up for you to change somebody's life, and you don't take their opportunity, so he has to bring somebody else in to do it, and you've missed out on the crown of glory. Jesus is encouraging us, don't miss out. Because we don't want our glory to be wasted because of our selfishness. He goes on and says, The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of my heaven, or out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, his desire is for us to be the pillars in the temple of God. And he's going to write, you know, his name on it. In fact, actually, actually he writes three different names. He says in, in verse 12, um, well, before that, he talks about the three different names. But then in verse 12, he goes on, He, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. You will never leave the presence of God again. No pain, never out of his presence. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I'll also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he's going to write down the name of my God, the name of the city, the new Jerusalem, Whatever name he picks for that, and, and the Jesus' new name, and the temper, uh, temple pillars. Now, this is kind of interesting. You think, okay, okay, I get it. He's going to write the names down. Okay, okay, we get names written on us. No, no, you don't understand. He's comparing this to the church of Philadelphia. And during, in that town, they had all these pillars of all the temples. And it would be like, this is in honor of so-and-so. This person bought this so they could build this building. And they would put their names on the pillars. So this church in Philadelphia, when he's writing and telling them this, they're connecting with what was happening in the city. You know, there's about one and a half pillars left in Philadelphia, enough that you can hardly even find a good picture of it. I mean, the one picture I found was just like, eh, so I didn't even put it up. All those pillars are gone. Guess what? In Jesus' kingdom, in God's kingdom, the pillars will stay forever. Who are the pillars? That's us. The pillar of, of our faith, he will never leave us. No matter where you go, you belong to this city. You belong to this God. You belong to Christ. There's no big monuments in Philadelphia. Just one pillar left in a, in a myrtle grove. You know, it's amazing to me. The history of this world and how God just, even putting in the whole pillar thing, and they're just being... Hardly anything left there, a pillar left. To me, that's just amazing. You know, we're so used to coming to church and the pastor telling us to shape up. But here the word says, keep doing what you're doing. Hold on to your faith and show others the way. I think for some of us, that's what we need to hear. Keep doing what you're doing. Hold on to your faith and show others the way to God. 
Are we doing those things? I want to encourage you to do those things. Let's pray. Lord, so many times we get wrapped up into our life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, all rolled up sometimes. And oftentimes we forget on a daily basis to connect with you. I pray that over the next seven days that you open up doors that we've never seen before. Opportunities that, uh, that we get to share our faith. Opportunities we get to talk about you and just the everyday things. About maybe how we got through situations with your, uh, with, with your spirit in us. I pray that we not forget you this week. That we be encouraged like the Church of Philadelphia. That we be encouraged to follow you. We be encouraged to hold on. And be encouraged to show others the way. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine down upon you. And may you be encouraged by his letter to Philadelphia. That he will never turn his face on us. He will never turn away. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.